Welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. My name is Caleb Mason, and I am so grateful that you have decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me in the Learner's Corner. And today, I am honored to be joined by Ingrid Faro to talk with her about her brand new book, Demystifying Evil, a biblical and personal exploration. And really, today we're going to get into... Uh, just a conversation that isn't normally uh, talked about, and that's around evil and the sources of evil and what causes evil and and the existence of of evil and what we could do about it. Now, here on the Learner's Corner, if you've been listening for a while, it probably doesn't surprise you that we are talking about this because that's what we want to do on this podcast. We want to have the conversations to that you may not be able to have anywhere else. We want to create a safe place to have difficult conversations, conversations where we disagree and conversations to where we could continue to learn and grow as well in an environment that facilitates that as well. And so that's, that's what we do here on the learner's corner. And one of the other avenues that we provide in and for her, for learning and for growth is my newsletter to where I give recommendations of just different things that I'm currently learning from. And it is, the gamut is very wide and I try to make it that way because different mediums resonate with different people. And some people like listening to podcasts since you're listening to one. Other people like watching movies. Other people like maybe reading or fiction reading or nonfiction reading or YouTube videos or songs or, or quotes, whatever it is. I give three each week of some of the things that I'm currently learning from. And it's all on my Substack. And so all you have to do is go to my Substack, which is in the show notes, subscribe, and it'll hit your inbox each week. Now, as I mentioned today, I'm talking with Ingrid to talk with her about the subject of evil and its existence. And I'm I'm really glad. Uh, I was really glad to just find out about this conversation because it's again, it's just something that isn't talked about a whole lot, especially in uh, in the Christian sphere. Which, if there's somebody who should be talking about evil and its existence and what to do, it should be followers of Jesus. And so that's why I'm so grateful and excited to be bringing this conversation to you. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Ingrid, then we'll dive in to the conversation. Ingrid Faro is coordinator of the MA in Old Testament program and visiting professor at Northern Seminary in Lisleil, Illinois. She previously served as Dean of Academic Affairs at Northern Seminary, Dean of Theology at the Scandinavian School of Theology, and Director of Master's Programs at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. She is the author of Evil and Genius and, or in, sorry, the Evil and Genius, Evil and Genius is a good title for a good book, but she is the author of Evil in Genesis and co-author of Honest Answers. Additionally, she serves on the editorial board of the Bulletin for Biblical Research, and she enjoys uh, speaking and preaching internationally and hiking, fitness, and kayaking, and she has two married children, three grandchildren, and lives just outside of Chicago, Illinois. And just to give you um, a little bit of a heads up, we are going to be talking about evil. So that is, and so we're going to talk a lot of the aspects of evil and some of the things that could just be difficult to talk about. 
and difficult here as well. And so just a heads up on that as we continue uh, on in our conversation. So without any further wait, here is my conversation with Ingrid Farah. Ingrid, it is so good to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Thank you, Caleb. It's great to be here. Yeah. And you know, you've you've written this book, Demystifying Evil. And one of the places that I love to begin with uh, people in conversation is I love hearing the origin story for the works. And I know that this, this work, this study of evil has been, I think, 15 years or longer than 15 years journey for you. Yeah, the research has been 15 years, but the things that led up to the research were pretty much my whole life. Yeah. Well, would you mind kind of unpacking your origin story a little bit of kind of like what what first got you, um, I don't know if interested is the right idea, but what, what first, um, I guess, w- when did you first th- start thinking about the topic of evil and then just take me through like beginning your research as well? Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I... Um... Just a little bit, and some of my story, of course, will come out. My book includes my story because that's part of the unpacking it. Yeah. So then, so much of what we read about evil is philosophical or theological or, hmm. or sociological, but it it's at the core of it, it's always personal. And hmm. so, uh, so for me, I had um, I was deconstructing my faith before it came a term. My first husband, who was studying to be a pastor, had a third of the New Testament memorized. Was leading Bible studies and so forth, but he was uh, violent and unfaithful. And um, so I was going through just hell, just trying to be, and I, at the time I was, you know, I was taught I just needed to be the submissive wife and my job was to support him and so forth. And so I wasn't, it, it just wasn't going to be permissible for me to complain or go to anybody. Um, finally, when, after he broke my nose once, I finally, at the doctor's, um, said, I, I tried to lie about it. And they said, we see the imprint of a ring on your nose. And so um, they told me, don't go home. So I finally called my pastor and all he said was go home and love your husband. So, you know, I just continued in the the uh, cycle of violence until after he tried to kill me. But during that time, sometimes, and I was working two jobs because he had also uh, taken out all kinds of loans. And then there was a point where he had quit working. And so it was, life was pretty much a hell. And I remember, one specific point where I'm just driving in my car, which is where I would just cry every day. And then I just said, God, I I don't know why I believe in you. I haven't seen any goodness or love from you, you know, basically since I was born again, I don't know why I believe in you. Uh, But I knew I had encountered God as a young Christian. And so all I could say was, but I know I've met you. So I know you're there. So I can't leave, but I don't know what to do. And so that, and then life just continued to be uh, pretty complicated. But there was a time when basically God got me to sit down for a period of time and just listen, just sit quietly. And I started doing some counseling after I, I escaped the marriage basically. And, and, um, but there was a time when I knew God had, uh, was speaking to my heart and told me, you go get answers for yourself. Don't rely on 
what other everybody else or anybody else is saying you go get answers for yourself and he said for you get it from the greek and the hebrew so i went from uh, i'd been a, a nutritionist dietitian associate professor and i was in insurance because i was working a second job just to pay all of our debts and everything and uh and so i started studying theology <laughs> and so that was how i started studying theology and but for years i was still even after completing my master's degree, I, I still had so many questions about, is God good? And I'd say, God, I know you're good because the Bible says so, but I don't know you're good. It's just a theological construct. So, but I knew I needed to study more. I knew I had so many more questions and, uh, and prayerfully, I knew I needed to continue on for a PhD. And so, that, um, so but as I was studying that, I approached it not knowing if God was good, not knowing if God was just. Um, and as I studied the integration of my life and my relationship with God and scripture just began to become very real. And, and things started to gel in my head. Things started to come together. I'd actually be studying a uh, Hebrew text, which was uh, you know, what I was spending most of my time in. And all of a sudden I would feel like the spirit of God just say, stop, here is where this evil came into your life. And so here I'm, I'm doing the academic rigor and all of a sudden just my own life pops in and, and say, let's take a look at this. And so, uh, so the, the, my life became an integration of understanding what had happened? Where did the evil come in? What was my role? What wasn't my role? Where where did it come from, and uh, and why? So I began to gain understanding of my life as well as evil and how it operates and what is my role in it and where is God and all that. So that's a little bit of background yeah. into how I got into the whole topic. No, that's great, and thank you for sharing that. I, I love asking that question because it just highlights and it underscores ev literally everything else that we're going to talk about today. Yeah. So I very much appreciate that. A couple of things um, that I want to go back to and ask you about is, um, and again, you you may have just offhandedly said this, but you said that, or at least I heard you say that um, that God wanted you to look specifically into the Hebrew and Greek for yourself. For that, I'd, I'd just love uh, just any more detail on that because that's just a, it's, it was just very interesting to me. Yeah, well, and everybody's got their own path, yeah. and uh, yep. uh, but for me, I'm yeah. Obviously, I found out I'm really hard-headed and very much a control freak. Although I think yeah. actually all people are. <laughs> yeah. We all have to be in control. Yeah. Uh, yep. But I, um, but I had I just had so many questions, and so you know, as I look back this was the route that I needed to take because I wouldn't have believed you know, I've read so many books, but you know, I, now I'm always going back to yeah. what's the language and I'm reading things outside of scripture too. I'm reading atheists yeah. and, you know, yeah. philosophers and so forth. But when I'm going back to the biblical text, I want to know what it says. Yeah. I want to know what it says in the original languages and what it's so just following all of those trails for yeah. me was really important in my process. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's it's really interesting to me because i again just listening to you and going like you're entering into these questions mm -hmm. and you you genuinely don't have the answer of right. is god good and so it's it's also interesting to me of just going like god just going like look at the hebrew look at the greek and just take your question into that yeah yeah mm. 
Yeah, it, it really was. Um, but at, and yet at the same time, even in that, there was an encounter with the spirit of God. So I've really mm -hmm. seen so often, you know, when I look at denominations and, you know, we're such a divided people in, in especially in the U.S. Everybody's individualistic. So no matter what it is, it's us versus them. You know, there's yeah. there's we're always infighting, trying to put other people in boxes and so forth. So um, so for me, it was I, I just wanted to just tear apart all the boxes and just look at it for myself. And that was uh, that has been very freeing and not feeling like I had to b go along with anybody's one way of this is the way you, you process it or this is this is the right answer, but leaving room for because ultimately just finding that relationship with God in the midst of it, because that is people misunderstand the Old Testament all the time, but it really is all about relationship. Mm -hmm. So that uh, became core for me as well, was developing, and some of my developing that relationship with God, or one of the, I'll just mention, one of the big yeah. breakthroughs yeah. was when I got really angry with God, and I decided I was going to tell him off. And yeah. I had been taught, you don't do that, you know, God is God, and you just accept whatever happens, and you just keep your mouth shut. And, you know, that's kind of what I had been taught. So even though I'd been through seminary, there were, you know, some lines of thinking along that line also. And but, you know, everything in my life had fallen apart. You know, I, I had remarried. My second husband had gotten sick, uh, sick uh, pain for nine years, took his life after nine years, passed when our son was 11, financially lost everything. I mean, it was just all of these things going on. And so um, I just went in, locked myself in my bathroom because I was afraid I was going to get struck by lightning or something. And I just start, raised my fist and started yelling at God, saying, you're a terrible father. You could be helping me out. You could be helping. You know, I just, I just yelled at all. And then I said, you know what I'm thinking anyway, so now I've said it there. And, you know, I was just like kind of afraid. Yeah. But that was a breakthrough moment. And I learned later that it was my first true lament. Mm -hmm. And that began a conversation with God, like an ability to communicate with him that I had never experienced before. Just simply letting it all out and being completely honest was really a major breakthrough in my life. Mm. Yeah. Talk to me more about what you experienced through that honesty and through that lament that you were talking about. Yeah, it's it, yeah. Most of the churches I had gone to were um, someone used the term once, "happy clappy," and I yeah. think that you know, you just go and you put a smile on your face, and you know. And I had learned through the way I'd grown up. Also, if you just put a smile on your face, no one will ask questions. And I really didn't want anybody to ask me any questions because I had no idea what had hit me when things were still just completely in. You know, I, I described to myself as a 10,000 piece puzzle that was just shaken up and dumped on the ground and said, here's your life. Good luck. <laughs> so, um, and that was the way I was feeling. And I didn't know where God fit in that, but there was a point where I just knew I needed to do that, whatever, whatever come. But since then, as I've learned that the majority, the biggest category of the Psalms are lament Psalms. Mm -hmm. And they're so raw. There's so much, the Old Testament is so honest, brutally honest and raw, which is why most people don't understand it. But anybody can find their story in it, no matter how horrific or good, mm -hmm. but how horrific. And it's not trying to make anybody look better than they are. It's just, and so my studying the Old Testament, it's like, I can relate to that. <laughs> so I could find myself in scripture also. But then as I would read, I would find out, 
the ways that God would come in and that like, for example, Joseph, he wasn't pretending like, oh, great, I'm a slave now. Oh, I'll just praise the Lord. This is great. He was like, I know I've had these dreams and I haven't seen them come about yet. So then he's still put in prison. He's still believing in those dreams. Mm -hmm. He's not saying, oh, this is great. You know, he's not calling evil good. He's calling it what it is and even names his son, you know, that I can forget my past. Mm -hmm. So that honesty. And so as I saw that honesty, it helped me to become honest with God as well. And then I would hear more and more just the spirit speaking to my spirit and, and usually first through scripture, but then also just unpacking it. Like I remember there was one time when I was, uh, you know, I was just wrestling with some stuff and, and part of Psalm 23 just kind of dropped in my, in my mind and my heart, you know, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil for you are with me. And I'm thinking, okay, that's a nice verse. And then I just heard, you know, however you hear the spirit speak, Mm -hmm. the word here is through, don't lay down in the valley of the shadow of death. Don't set up camp here. I am with you to bring you through this. And boom, all of a sudden the word of God becomes alive. All of a sudden it's got meaning it never had before. And all of a sudden it's like, God is walking with me through it. And that, and and just that was, you know, there's so many things like that, which of course I unpack, you know, I describe in the book as well, where, where God met me at those places of just sheer despair Mm -hmm. and gave me hope Mm -hmm. and gave me a vision and, and the strength and also the fighting, because I was just, um, you know, run over, backed up, run over, backed up. That was how yeah. I felt my life, like everything. I, I describe it as a, I had a whack-a-mole theology, you know, that yeah. carnival. Yeah. <laughs> like every time I raise my head up, bam, I'm going to get knocked down again. Yeah. And, but through the course of just, some of it was just not letting go, not quitting, mm-hmm. but just being honest and fighting and, I began, I began to develop a Shalom theology and, and it's hard to even describe, but I, it was just this long process of being honest and real and digging in scripture and crying out to God that I began to see my life change from being run over to it's like, uh, no, mm-hmm. not staying here. This mm-hmm. is not how this story is going to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I know that we briefly touched on it, but I, at least in in like whenever people are approaching the question of God of if He's good, so many times we we have a, a presupposition, something that we bring in, and it's either yes, I believe that God is good, or yet no, I'm trying to I'm trying to prove that God is bad, and that's why I think it's just so like captivating to me of like you're entering into this of I don't know, mm-hmm. I'm not bringing anything into it. I would just be curious to hear like talk. Any, any other things regards to that mindset? Would you mind just sharing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, because I think, I think we've done so much damage in the church by giving people pat answers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it just becomes pat answers. You know, it's like, you know, what's the answer? The answer is Jesus. I mean, it, it becomes almost that, almost ridiculously, you know, even though there's a truth in that, it's like, we need a whole lot more than that, you know? Yeah. We got very real questions, and and um, and one of the things that I came to to love, and I'm 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 not trying to dance around the question, but all yeah. of this part of my dealing with it. When I read the story about Isaac, and he's you know he's left 
Laban's area, Haran, and, and he's about to face his brother Esau, who's bringing 400 men, and it wasn't a welcoming party. You know, they were probably yeah. planning on, let's get rid of this guy. Just And, uh, and so, uh, he, so he's separating his wives and all that, and then he's at the river Jabbok, and he's invited to wrestle with this being who's it's called a man, called an angel, and then called the Lord. So however we look at it, I look at it as a theophany. And God invited him, hey, let's wrestle. And the fact that he was given at that point with wrestling with God all night with his fears, with you know his, his deceptions with his whole life, because he knows he's about to die. That's a good time to wrestle with God. Mm-hmm. You want to do it before that, but I so often I've, I wanted to die. Yeah. I did not want to live. And so wrestling with God, once I, once I saw that I needed to wrestle with God and God was, he wasn't afraid of it. He was inviting me into it. And the fact that God named the entire nation Israel means he who wrestles with God or struggles with God contends with God. And it's like, God actually is inviting us, come, rest, let's, let's work this out. Let's talk, let's fight, let's do it, whatever we need to do, just come out with it. And, uh, and so I found as I became more and more honest uh, with myself, because that was a part of the process too, I didn't want to even hear my own thoughts. I didn't want to feel my own feelings. And it was terrifying to do that. And I know sometimes when I talk with other people and I can really relate, they'll say, I'm afraid if I start crying, I won't be able to stop. Mm-hmm. And so we'll just hold stuff in. And, you know, we've got, and, and in our churches where, you know, I, I've seen time and again where uh, pastors will, will just tell, you know, just come in and smile. You know, this isn't a time. It's like, come on, you know, where do you go? Where's a safe place to go? And so, you know, I'm, thankfully, there's more conversation about that now, more conversation about mental health and and grieving. I've been parts of churches and conferences where we just come together to lament and individuals, you know, friends who will just call and say, I hate God. And instead of being, oh, you can't say that. It's like, what's happening? You know, but I had to learn that first. I had to enter into that. Um, But there were people that would just stay away from me. And uh, when they heard the things happening, I mean, I just lost friends right and left. And I just became such, for a period of time, I was such a loner. I even had a whole song with choruses about Lord is just you and me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Once I even allowed God into my life. But there was a point where God said, if you you need to get together with other people or you won't be able to heal. Mm -hmm. And so it was, you know, being real with God, but then also trying to find one, two, three friends that I could really just open up and be real with. And so it was that process of allowing myself to not be perfect, because so often, you know, we we just think like, oh, you know, I can't let anybody know I'm not perfect. And I can't even admit it to myself, you know, and, and uh, beating ourselves up, I would have been a great crawling over broken glass, beating myself with leather whips, you know, I mean, because I was just beating myself up all the time. And so that was part of my process was just to allow myself to be real with what I really felt, what I really thought, first to myself, honestly, mm-hmm. and then with God, and eventually with other people. Mm-hmm. So it became freeing, but it was terrifying at first because it hadn't been modeled. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of the reasons that yeah. I it, I knew I had to write about this. And that's why I've been talking about this now. You know, I remember the first time that I, my uh, this was when I was in seminary and uh, the, my uh, Dick Averbeck was my uh, 
advisor in my my program and and he encouraged me when he heard some of my story he encouraged me to tell my story to another group of students and i was terrified it's like oh my gosh they're gonna know what an idiot i've been and you know all the stupid things i've done and you know i went through a divorce and you know i thought i had a big d on my shoulder i'd be disqualified you know that was the mindset i had then and, mm -hmm. and uh but someone came to me afterward and for the first time she talked about her pastor her, her husband, who had been a pastor, who had left her and been abusive, and she had never told anybody, but because I told my story, she felt she could do that. And that has continued to be. So every time I share my story, there's I know there's going to be somebody who for the first time is willing to start on that journey toward being healed mm. and coming up. You know, getting free and starting to go toward healing from the abuse, the trauma, the fears, whatever it is. So it becomes, you know, it, it's so there's this huge, you know, growing community that we begin to develop of people who are just real with each other and real with God. And it's, it's really, it's, it's so healing. We need that everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to what you mentioned towards the beginning of our conversation. And you talked about the personalness of mm. evil. Would you mind just elaborating on that a little bit about why evil can be or is so personal? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and some we we don't really even have a category for evil. You know, in my book, I've got a chapter on defining evil, um, but it's defining evil biblically. But first, it's looking at all the other ways that people define evil, and uh, and you know, there was this great quote that I, it was an NPR uh, interview with the former, a former CEO of Google. And for a while, Google's code of conduct uh, motto, they call it, was don't be evil. And that was, that was their code of conduct, don't be yeah. evil. And so in this NPR interview, they're, they're asking him, so, you know, tell us about this. They said, well, you know, there's really no definition for evil, except maybe in the Bible or something, you know, and I thought, what a great quote. Yeah. You know? yeah. For most people, like we look at right now and, you know, the things happen, events in the world and this all the time, what one group calls evil, another calls either justifiable or good. Mm -hmm. And that's among Christians as well as secular, you know, I mean, everybody's fighting about, you know, what is evil. And so it became really important first to not just understand what evil is, but we need to know what good is. And so even in my investigation into evil, it's also an investigation as what does it mean for God to be good? What is good? Mm -hmm. So we need to know what is good and what is evil. And um, we can't just make up our own ideas about it because those become culturally driven. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so it, the definitions change as cult what becomes culturally acceptable changes. So that's why like when people read the Old Testament, there'll be things like, oh, that's horrible, but it was culturally acceptable to them. Mm -hmm. Just like those things that are culturally acceptable to us that aren't in other cultures, it won't be, it may not be in the future. So, so it's just um, coming to terms with the fact that evil is, does horrible things happen to us. And, mm -hmm. um, and you know, the, the simplest verse that I use for that is Jesus said, you know, that, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy in John 10, 10, but I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so even when we look at when things happen to us, um, I'll use uh, N.T. Wright has this, is, I, I love this, it, it makes it so simple, uh, kind of introducing the topic in his book, Evil and the Justice of God. He said, most people tend to look at evil in three ways. First, they don't expect it to happen. 
you know, and, and now that's different in people that is students and friends living in persecuted countries, but mostly in the US and in Europe and stuff, we don't expect bad things. So he said, so second, when it happens, evil happens, it slaps us in the face. They said, therefore, we tend to respond in immature and dangerous ways. And that is so true. This tendency, because when evil happens, we're just blindsided, we're paralyzed, you know, and, and so I, I'm, I do a lot of reading. I have friends who are psychologists, trauma specialists, and, and so forth, and, and just trying to understand the whole psychology of trauma, abuse, and everything, and it just paralyzes you. Because we, and especially when so often the, the, the stealing, killing, and destroying, the bad things that happen, the painful things that happen, so often come through those, the very ones who are supposed to protect us love us care for us and and when when they do things that that just jar us that slap us you know like this pastor saying go home and love your husband after he broke my nose you know i mean it's just jarring you're just paralyzed and you just kind of go along a bit zombie like and so i was so paralyzed by fear and uh you know people tend to either just over get just hugely angry or hugely paralyzed, or, you know, sometimes it fluctuates between the, but our emotional responses to when we get hit by something, you know, that, that we know is, you know, as Cornelius Planica says, not the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I like the way he states it and others have as well. When we know things are not the way they're supposed to be, we're moving toward the category of saying there's something evil here. You know, so things that paralyze us, stun us, block us, that um, anything that is taking the life force out of us or out of somebody else, we're starting to move into the category of evil. And so I, I include, you know, in my book, I include just definitions and, you know, I've got a, my dissertation was on evil in Genesis. So the whole, you know, just really breaking it down to, so anybody who really wants to yeah. break it down, the semantics and everything, you know, I'd, but that's where I needed to start. Yeah. Say, yeah. oh, how do I define what is good and what is evil? How do we contrast those? Mm-hmm. And so because it is so personal, it we need some, it helps. It certainly helped me to begin to develop a framework so that when evil happens, I, I'm not just blindsided because there's no conversations taking place where I can start to say, okay, where's it? I can step back. I can look at it. I can refuse to be afraid because mm-hmm. that becomes huge uh and even if i am afraid to still face it anyway um because being afraid of evil and letting evil paralyze you simply holds you under its grip and it's going to just again do what what uh, nt wright said cause immature and dangerous responses and that was so much of my life was just making immature and dangerous responses not as a critique to myself you know i um, but it was simply, I just wasn't making good choices because I was so paralyzed by the, the abuses and traumas that I had had in my life. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so instead to be able to step back, first of all, we've got to know that we're, there is suffering in this life. There is evil and there is pain in this life. And, and we need to be able to talk about it and, and expect it's like evil is going to happen. Mm-hmm. So let me prepare ahead of time. You know, it, it's like, you don't want to go into a famine with no food and storage. You yeah. know, it's, yeah. you don't want to face evil without having processed it. And uh, but m- almost all of us do. And so, so many people just get stuck in that trap of evil and become victims to it their whole life. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that. I've also seen people who, at all different ages, decide, "I am not going to be a victim to what happened to me anymore." 
Mm. And so it's just some of it's just making that decision. I'm going to face this evil. I'm not going to probably not going to do it alone because it's too it's too hard. We need we need to find some safe people, community, trauma counselors, people who know, the you know, whatever it is, however godly, yeah. but face it and then just look at, OK, where are the different areas that this evil could have come in and just begin to to sort of take it apart and just take the time to to sort it out take the time to heal give yourself tons of grace and be kind to ourselves in that process because so often when the bad things happen we think we're to blame hmm. and you know we might have been part of it but that's not going to help <laughs> it's not going to help if i feel shame or guilt it's only going to help if i go you know what even if i was an idiot you know, so what? Like, have a little humor about myself. Everybody else in this world is too. We're all idiots. <laughs> yeah. You know, what I mean, we we kind of got to look at. Like, yeah. We're all making mistakes. You know. Yeah. Let's be real about it and uh, love each other anyway. Which, of course, that's so often the problem. Mm -hmm. So often we haven't been loved. Yeah. Talk to me about some of the the immature responses that we can have towards evil. Yeah, it's um, boy, and there are there are so many, um, you know. And for me, like some of the, uh, um, you know, for me, one of the immature responses, like you know, when the pastor told me just go mm -hmm. home and love love your husband, you know, so it was evil and then compounded evil, um, and refusing to listen to myself, you know, that that I, I don't know if I can call that immature, but in a sense, it is. Because mm -hmm. um, maturity, you know, should be like, uh, all right, let's talk about this, you know, just like uh, maturity would be the person who did the offense. If they're mature, they're going to confess it and do mm -hmm. something about it. Immaturity means not doing anything about it, hiding, you know, so staying a child, you know, and and again, that's no critique because sometimes because it's usually it's the child who was wounded in the first place. But we get stuck in that position of being a child as as a mature adult who may be highly competent, may have, you know, be extremely intelligent. You know, some of the most intelligent people that I know are respond just like a little child when evil hits them because it's it's rooted to some kind of shame or guilt or something that happened before. Sometimes they were even capable of cognitively uh, figuring it out. So being immature isn't a slap in the face. It's like, sometimes you just have to find, and, and you know, I, it was some call it follow the smoke screen. You know, I say, just follow the thread. You know, what is, when I, like anytime I overreact in a situation, somebody says something, like I remember when I uh, got married, remarried and, um, and, uh, Sometimes he would say something and I would just overreact. He said, I know I'm paying the price for the first one, but I love you, you know, and so he'd help me back it up, you know. Yeah. That was, it was an immature response, but it was very real and understandable. But I had to follow what's the thread. And so, you know, just finding that. So, um, and so immature responses are usually just like over, over emotional reactions, which we all do. You know, mm -hmm. so now anytime I see myself triggered, it's like, now I know, okay. I just overreacted in that situation. I may have said something that hurt somebody, or I just, you know, went and did something stupid, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, um, and and to just be kind to myself uh, and say, okay, Lord, you know, Jesus, show me, show me what's this attached to, what is this attached to, and uh, and just to spend some time quietly with the Lord. And it might take hours, it might take months, 
there have been some things that I've prayed about for years and just keep coming back to it's like, okay, this isn't resolved yet because I'll still see that same emotional response. But as I keep just not letting go and keep facing it when it comes up, I can go back, you know, like, um, like for me, my, my uh, predominant memory growing up was hiding in my closet because I had an older sister and whenever things would blow up in my home, you know, things would start flying and, you know, and I would just go run and hide in my closet. So I had all these horrible pictures drawn in my closet. And so there was a time when, you know, in, in uh, sort of a time of prayer healing, because uh, I, I, the first time I ever confronted anybody, I was 34 years old. Mm -hmm. I never... I would figure out other ways. I would just ignore it, avoid it, work around it, be passive aggressive. There are all kinds of ways to not confront when something is wrong because I was way too terrified. I'd never learned how. It was never safe. And so finally, 34 years old, I finally was like, and I remember it's like, yes, I did it. Yeah. I just came, said what I thought, said, here's what we need to do. And that was a mature response. All of my responses before that, there had been some degree of immaturity, even though I was highly accomplished in certain fields and, you know, and all that. But there were those areas that I couldn't face. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to go back to what you mentioned about N.T. Wright in that we, we don't assume that evil is going to happen in the world. And so because of that, we don't even think about it. And so I'd love to just hear what are some of the things that we just don't know? about evil because we aren't thinking about it. We aren't paying attention to it, but it's very true. Yeah. And, um, you know, my, my simplest definition of evil, you know, cause you got to have a simple one. I've got yeah. a couple of simple ones is, uh, evil is a corruption of relational and creational goodness. Mm -hmm. So evil is taking what was intended to be good and twisting it, polluting it, corrupting it. Kind of like I learned rat poison is 98% good food and just 2% mm. poison. That's all it needs to kill you. Mm. So evil is like that. It'll be coated often in, you know, what looks like good food, you know, a, a good relationship, somebody who's nice and, you know, or they're charismatic or, you know, or, or this, it's like, oh, you know, this looks like it would be great to do, you know, yeah. and, and you do your pro and con list and all that. And, uh, you know, so whether it's a relationship or a job or buying a, you know, it, it's like it, it affects every area. Just our simple decision making process. Sometimes um, we can, um, we don't recognize when, we don't recognize the red flags. Mm -hmm. We can ignore red flags and, and we can, so, one of the things is we can assume, like I, I still tend to assume that everybody has a good intention and everybody's nice. So, you know, there's a, a class of people that just assume everybody's going to be kind and nice. And so when somebody's not, it's like, oh, my gosh, how did this, yeah. why did they do that? You know, and just totally slapped in the face. Uh, there are others who just really actually do, you know, and I, I, who just really are always expecting people to do something bad. And, and so they, they have a very different approach, you know, but then they can, but we tend to assume other people think the way we do. So people who tend to assume because of whatever it is they've grown up under that everybody's out to get them or everybody, mm -hmm. they're going to assume even my best efforts, they're going to look at it like, She's too nice. So she must actually really be mean, you know, and people who are who. So those are two super simplistic categories. Obviously, yeah. we got. But whatever our tendency is, 
we will tend to get slapped in the face by the other, that which we do not expect. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, before I ask you some of the next questions, I, I want to read this quote from Demystifying Evil, and that I think it'd be a good springboard into some of the rest of our conversation. You write, evil gained entrance into my life through different sources and means. Some evils entered willing, willfully, and intentionally. Other evils entered as a consequence of a chain of actions, and some were simply acts of nature. But how I responded mattered. Through this process, I began to identify distinct, destructive instruments of evil in various operations through which they worked. And I kind of want to follow up on some of that, but I would love for you to just kind of um, just elaborate a little bit on the quote. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, and so as as uh, in my own personal life, um, and and so I have it divided in the book as well. You know, the first thing I look at is um, action consequence, and um, so and so for for each of these um, places, entry points for evil because. Mm-hmm always has to have an entry point and for each of these there was a an imagery in the book of genesis the first chapters of genesis yeah. that became sort of my way of of, un, of understanding it and so action consequence it's seed and the action consequence is the most uh typical most normal thing that people expect throughout ancient history you know there's a whole book of uh the prayers of the righteous sufferer where it's like if i've offended this god please forgive me if i've offended that god you know uh and so but there is an action consequence what the things that we do do have consequences and you know most buddhist thought that's the whole thing the it's it's the law of cause and effect and um, but the whole the book of Job basically is about 30 chapters of arguing his quote friends say, Job, you must have done something wrong for this evil to have happened. You know, so they're doing action consequence. And Job is saying, no, I didn't. I'm innocent. It's basically that for 30 chapters, but just, you know, nuanced a little more. So there is a role for that. Um, and so I can look at something, some decisions that I made and the consequences that came out of that. And, and so it, it helps me, it, it, it is instructive, you know, you reap what you sow, you know, that's, that's the basic biblical principle, but mm-hmm. it's not the only biblical principle. It's not the only way evil enters, it is a way. But so often I've heard Christians just harm other people, you know, by saying, what sin did you do that brought this into your life? I mean, I've had friends, you know, going in for surgery and, and people in their church would actually ask that, you know, I've, I've been asked that. So, but it can be, mm-hmm. it can be a route for things to enter. So we do have to evaluate, is there something that I did that opened this door? But like, for example, um, you know, in my, uh, I had three miscarriages and after my third miscarriage, I was just beating myself up. It's like, God, what sin have I done? You know, what have I done that brought this, you know, what spiritual thing do I need to repent of? And I was just mourning. And of course I was mourning the loss, but also it's like, it must've been my fault. And, you know, finally after, you know, going on like this for several, for a few weeks, at least, you know, just in a time of prayer, I, I sense the Lord say, Ingrid, this is purely physical, go to the doctor, and you'll get it taken care of. And so it was like, oh, it's just purely something, you know, it's just yeah. something, you know, it's uh, it's something that just needs to be taken care of physically. It's not spiritual, it's not, you know, and I did, and a year later I had my son, you know, mm-hmm. and he was perfectly healthy. So so that that's, you know, one of the areas. And then- yeah. uh, 
real real quick before before we move on to the other areas i just had this thought and i'd love for you to elaborate on this is it because we don't have a category for evil that we take the blame on ourselves sometimes because i was just thinking about your situation it's like well if 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 i expect evil to happen then i shouldn't be as surprised that i'm going to be affected by it but if i don't expect evil is going to happen then i have to look for the cause and sometimes right. i look at myself yes yes because mm. we are we we do since we we do always want to understand what happened yeah if we can't figure out what happened we're go- we're going to find something or someone yeah. to blame so we need something or someone to blame yeah. and so that's also we talk about you know, immature and dangerous yeah that you know we can see how we can blame ourselves we can blame somebody else we see that happen all the time in relationships you know you must have done something to you know uh, yeah. or and certainly blaming god i mean there's all kinds of you know we see in the garden that was their own actions that brought yeah. about the consequences but you know everybody's blaming somebody else and hiding and feeling shame yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. okay yeah Cool. Great. Yeah. Could continue on with some of the other entry points. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so the, uh, the other, the next one that I talk about is just acts of nature. And that's a really complicated one mm-hmm. because there's, there's, uh, so much that happens in nature with, with, there's nothing we can do anything about tornadoes and hurricanes and flooding and, you know, things like that. And so, um, acts of nature happen. And when they happen, uh, we can't look for an immediate, you know, who did that to me? Uh, we can pray, and I've seen amazing miracles uh, just by praying. But sometimes, you know, like I remember a tree fell and and landed and destroyed my first car, you know, <laughs> that was an act mm-hmm. of nature. You know, it wasn't because I sinned or somebody didn't cut down, you know, but it, it just happened. And so there are some things that we can say just happen and then i need to be able to say you know like even with this physical thing it just happened it was simply an act of nature yeah and so and i said but there was a way to to deal with it so sometimes acts of nature which uh, sickness can come into that category um and you know depending on people's different i I have multiple conversations about it depending on what their denominational and theological views are some say god did it others say you don't have enough faith i mean it's for all kinds of ways but we need to even back off of that and simply when an act of nature happens just say lord what do i do now Mm -hmm. what can i do now either to help my neighbor or what can i do to repair this or you know just but to be able to find a way to deal with it now, you know, in the book, I also kind of go through how humanity is complicit with um, all of the, with nature. You know, we, it's, it's like the uh, mosquitoes only used to cover 10% of the earth. And now because humanity has spread, mosquitoes now are 100% of the earth. That's just terrible you know, to take yeah. a simple thing that we all hate. But nevertheless, um, you know, and, uh, and I remember there, there was an article in 2010 uh, that, that was in a newspaper um, journal thing that was showing the science and it said you know the the 2010 the year the earth struck back you know Mm -hmm. so that was just interesting so yeah there are things that we do that um that make uh and there's simple things we like uh law of gravity you know that's why we've got laws about putting railings you know it's so there there are things we can do in regard to acts of nature that can be more protective you know don't put mobile homes in a hurricane, you know, along a hurricane, you know, so, um, and then there are things that we can do to come along and help. But there are some things like uh, when uh, Jesus, he talks about the, um, the, the tower that fell and killed 18 people, and he doesn't give any explanation. 
He just said, and you too will die you know, in yeah. your sins if you don't repent. You know? So sometimes, sometimes things happen. I'm like, all right, this is, this is really bad. What can I do to come help? Mm -hmm. to bring some kind of goodness out of it. And so, so that, you know, when it, so there's some things, acts of nature and health and so forth, where again, that can become a long conversation, but sometimes it's just accepting. Sometimes there are things that just happen mm -hmm. uh, that are horrible that, that we can't control. And then we just need to take a deep breath, find other people, see what we can do to help. Mm -hmm. uh, and then just for ourselves, humanity. So the other two big categories are one is humanity and the other is malevolent spiritual forces. Yep. And so humanity, you know, in, in the book, I talk about needs and desires. So we were all created with needs and desires. Even in the garden, God made humans with needs and desires. And, uh, and that was good. That was in the very good garden. Mm -hmm. And but those needs and desires, we're supposed to turn to God in order for those to be fully met. And so that's one of the biggest areas that evil has entered my life. Uh, so for example, you know, uh, something real simple, like I never had a good car buying experience except for my last two cars, because before mm -hmm. that I would need a car and it's like, oh, I'm a woman going into a car dealership. I know they're going to take advantage of me. And, and, you know, and, and I would be right every time because uh, I just wouldn't be prepared and, you know, and I would just give in and it's like, well, I don't know. And, you know, I would just kind of panic because it's like, uh, and then I finally had a good car buying. It was like, all right, because I'd learned that, okay, I need a car. I want to have a good experience this time. Again, this is taking a super, super simple one because yeah. you know, it's a big expense and all that. Yeah. And so I prayed about it. I talked with the people. I talked with my son agreed to come with me. We said, okay, what's your budget? you know, what's the maximum you're going to, going to do what, you know, just really. And then he, I had him with me as my support. So if I started to give in, he would just look at me and shake his head, you know? So I just needed that support. And I had yeah. a great car buying experience. It was, it, everything went smoothly. It was great. And so, you know, for something so little, and then you just magnify that work and, you know, all these different areas, relationships, you know, it, it's, we can be do things out of desperation or out of fear or out of anger or just grabbing, you know, I need this, you know, God hasn't given this you know, marriage. I need to be married. So here's a good candidate. I'm going to go for this or, you know, mm -hmm. all kinds of areas where we feel we have a need and we just take. And that has brought them some of the most sorrows in my life. You know, my first marriage, I, I, I said, I'm 27, you know, and I've been a good Christian woman and I want to be married, you know, and Oh my goodness! It, you know, I remember two weeks before, before the wedding, me asking God, you know, do you want me to marry you know, Gary? And and as clear as I can hear my own voice, something inside said, no, but I know you're going to do it anyway. And you know, and me, you know, bright as I was, not you know, <laughs> even though I read the Bible, it's like, well, then I guess it'll turn out okay. Mm -hmm. Holy cow! You know. Yeah. <laughs> God also knew I wasn't strong enough to say no or back out because I still had never confronted anybody. Yeah. So it was still gracious, but I made horrible mistakes, some of it because of my own weakness, but also because I wasn't trusting God to provide and going through it in a calm, logical progression. Mm -hmm. You know, as I learned to make decisions generally slowly, unless the house is on fire, you know, but 
make slow down, you know, and, and everybody has, we all have our weaknesses in decision making from the little to the small things and the smallest things can really blow up in your, our lives sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, so really paying attention to how do we make decisions and bringing God into all of it and, and sometimes trusted friends when we need it. Mm-hmm. So, but then also authority and responsibility. You know, that's yeah. one of the areas that it really come down. And some of that is understanding what it means to be created in the image of God. Yeah. So since you have Carmen Imes on, uh, she, you know, I'm sure yeah. everyone listens to her podcast, understand what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Yeah. Because we were made with God created us, every human being with responsibility and authority. Mm-hmm. And we have not done well with either of those. Mm-hmm. So God made us to be, to oversee, to be his representatives in this physical universe. Mm-hmm. And within our communities, within our families, we are his representatives. And we have taken that lightly. And we blamed God or somebody else rather than saying, what is my role in bringing about what is good and right in this situation? What is my role in being life-giving in, in this situation and stopping where there is where something is being stolen or killed or destroyed in someone else's life. I have huge responsibility, but God has also given me authority, especially in Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, Christ restored the image of God. He is the image of God. You know, in him, he tabernacled among us, but then he gave us his authority. You know, I always heard the Great Commission, go therefore into all the the, the world and pre, you know, but the first thing is all authority has been given to me. Therefore you go on that basis. So we go on the basis of his authority. And that's so important to understand what does that mean? And, and for us to really know that we have responsibility, wherever, wherever we have influence, we have responsibility. Mm-hmm. But we can also come in as having authority. Mm-hmm. So, and we need to practice that. And you know, like uh, there's a, it's been used by, but John Stuart Mills was the first one to say, all bad men need to, to compass their ends is for good men to stand by and do nothing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that's so often, one of the main, I consider that the main way that evil comes in is because people have either been afraid or didn't want to bother or all kinds of reasons when they see something that is wrong mm-hmm. and they refuse to speak up or do anything about it. And uh, that I see as the main cause for the evils. You know, I see it in the abuses, you know, where the child come to, comes and tells the mom who does nothing or silences the child or, you know, people go to the pastor or their church because there have been abuses or traumas and they, they silence because, you know, the woman's too emotional. Sometimes men are the ones going through abuse and they're too embarrassed to say anything about it or they're not believed because they're the big strong one. How can this woman be abusing you? You know, so there's so many ways that we are complicit in not stopping abuse and not helping those who are being abused or have been traumatized. And so if we just all take up our role and love well, and the, the word love, in a, you know, in from the Greek lexicon, agape, it, it comes from a, a term that means to value, to greatly esteem. Am I valuing every human being that I come across? You know, you look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, and that's the very point. Who is my neighbor? Anybody that I come across. I need to treat anybody I come across with value. They're a person of dignity, no matter how marred or how different views we have, or, you know, no matter how we may disagree. If I pass that person and they're in need, I need to treat them with dignity and respect. 
no matter what I may think of or how much I may disagree, am I treating them with dignity and value? Mm-hmm. And, and so that, that is the main place that evils come in uh, is when we fail to take up our role as God's image bearers. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the other one that you mentioned in the book, which I want to touch on also, is a non-human malevolent, uh, malevolent man. Yeah, malevolent. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, forces. Um, first of all, I'd, lo- I'd love to just, um, I, I want to talk about it because I think the more that we don't talk about it, the more power that it has over us. And it becomes even scarier than not not that, that it's not something to be concerned about, but not talking about it even even large enlarges it to to a improper degree. And so, one, I'd love to just have you talk about what you mean by that because I know that sometimes we could just think of um, demons, but it can sometimes be a little bit more mm-hmm. of that too. Yeah. 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 And so that's why, you know, in my book, I have a whole section where, you know, part of it is just describing what are the different terms that scripture uses for mm-hmm. all of these different beings. So angels, Elohim, because Elohim, you know, sometimes refers to God, the God that we serve, whose name is Yahweh. Yeah. Um, it's also a term that's used for other spiritual, a broad term for other spiritual entities. Mm-hmm. And so we need to recognize that there are other spiritual entities and lots of varieties of them. And there are spiritual entities that are for God, for the kingdom of God, and those that are against God, which means they hate us because we are his primary image bearers, and especially those who are serving God. So we become prime targets for spiritual entities that have chosen to rebel against God and hate God, and they will hate us, mm-hmm. and they plan and they plot. So like, for example, C.S. Lewis's book, Screwtape Letters, one of the things that uh, they say in them, you know, the, in one of the conversations in there between the, you know, the, the head uh, uh, demon and, you know, uh, yeah. is that, you know, just let them think we don't exist, because <laughs> yeah. then we just slip by and do anything. And that in modern culture, has tended to be what we've done. We People don't want to believe they exist or else they're, they're looking for a demon under every rock and blaming yeah. everything. Satan made me do it, you know? So we tend to be at extremes. Yeah. Um, but um, but there are the definitely spiritual entities. Paul refers to them uh, and you know, powers and principalities. And he actually gets that term powers and principalities from the Septuagint, from the Greek translation of the Hebrew in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is also talking about powers and principalities, realms, thrones, dominions. So there there are the there is in the spiritual realm hierarchies of malevolent forces, just as in the spiritual realm, there are hierarchies of beneficent, of good forces that are for God. So, so for example, uh, cherubim and seraphim, those are not angels. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not little chubby, you know, things with wings. They are, those are, those are spiritual beings, excuse me, that surround the throne room of God that protect that sacred space where God dwells. And then we've got the archangels, you know, so Michael and Gabriel are a couple that we hear of and so forth, you know, that have special uh, purposes, special messengers and so forth. And an angel simply is a term for, an, for an, a messenger. So the Bible uses the both in the Greek and the Hebrew, uh, the, that word uh, messenger, both uh, melachim or angeloi to refer to uh, 
spiritual messengers and sometimes to human messengers, but they are messengers. And so there can be different kinds of messengers, but there are spiritual messengers, just like that came to Mary, that came to Daniel and so forth. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, But then there are these, you know, what the New Testament talks about, these demons, unclean spirits and so forth. Now, the Old Testament does refer to demonic forces. So for example, uh, more people nowadays are familiar with Michael Heiser's work in the unseen realm. He documents a lot of stuff and he's got more um, uh, some easier to read versions and uh, but again just understanding that there are these malevolent forces but they are but people tend to be really afraid if they mm -hmm. see them and I know people who haven't believed in any of them and then they'll encounter them uh, you know, like they'll wake up in the middle of the night and they're being strangled and there's nothing there. And, you know, of course, that's a terrifying experience or, yeah. you know, they'll, they'll be paralyzed and things like that. So um, so these spiritual forces can uh, manifest in different ways in the earthly realm. But the main way that evil spiritual forces gain entrance in this world is through our minds. Mm -hmm. They don't have authority on their own. The only authority they have is what they can take from us. Because again, in Genesis 1 and 2, God appointed us as his representatives. We have, uh, we are his, we have the responsibility and authority. So the only way that in the garden, the serpent, who's representative of the evil force, and again, you know, I'm not going to get into all the, yeah. you know, all this scholarly debates about, you know, was it Satan or whatever? Yeah. It's certainly a malevolent force. Whatever yeah. it is, it's representing a spiritual malevolent force. That's clear because he calls God a liar and he wants to kill the humans. <laughs> so yeah. he wants them to die. So that's pretty malevolent right there. But the only way he can work is to convince them to believe him. Jesus calls Satan. He says he's a he's a liar, the father of lies. So from the beginning, he was a liar. So the ways lies work and lies are one of the biggest powers of evil in our lives, whether they're lies our parents told us or a teacher told us or a friend told us, or we told ourselves or a lie that's put it that's put into our mind by some other malevolent force that's kind of whispering in our ear, putting a thought in and sometimes they can work through other people to speak those lies into us. So, but we don't always need to tear it apart as a person as a demon. It's like, mm -hmm. whatever it is, it's we have to recognize has a lie been told you're not good enough you're not smart enough you're you know you're this you're that you know all of the lies that we can be told in our lives that sometimes we're not even aware are there i've been amazed at some of the the lies that were resident in the back of my mind that i didn't even know were there until mm -hmm. i started trying to trace these triggers and all of a sudden it's like oh my gosh you know it's like there it is that's the lie and if i deal with that I've dealt with a malevolent force if I start taking that out. And I could also start healing from also the ways that I believe that lie and start backing it out and working toward healing from that. But that's the main way Jesus identifies it. We see it in Genesis 3. We see it also throughout. The main way that evil uh, forces can gain entry is through lies. And, um, you know, even the word curse. So in the Hebrew, there are two words for curse. Uh, but the one that's used most often for people is a word that it comes from the verb to belittle, to make small. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wow, anytime we're making ourselves small or making anybody else small or insignificant, it's, it's, we're actually cursing ourselves or cursing mm -hmm. somebody else. So any parent or any, you know, whoever they are that makes somebody else small, again, it's the opposite of valuing 
treating somebody with dignity, with esteem. It's the opposite of love. So when you despise someone, you make them small. And if you can, they can convince you that you're small, then you will start to, to just shrink inside and you won't have the strength or the power to stand up against the evil because you'll think, oh, I don't have, you know, I'm not good enough, I can't do it, or, you know, all of these things. So, so, the, so lies, and, and that is the main way malevolent forces work. Now, they, there's other ways they can work as well, but that is the predominant thing. If they can get us, they, they need us or even animals. Like when, when Jesus cast the legion out, yeah. it's, you know, Jesus let them go into the pigs. They went in, so, so these spirits can go into animals as well. I'll tell kind of a crazy little story. Yeah. So once was, uh, my parents for a while lived on a farm and I was going for a long, you know, long run and it was just farm country you know so long distances between houses and the road and so forth this was up in wisconsin and um and and one day this pack of seven um uh oh what kind of dog uh big dogs anyway mm -hmm. big they came and you know they started out you know like about 300 yards away and they just started running toward the road and they kept getting closer and closer and, and i mean like <laughs> barking yeah their teeth and uh, finally they make it to the road and they're coming toward me these seven big dogs you know yeah. it's uh, i can't remember but at any rate you know scary looking <laughs> and uh and and i'm running along and and i just started thinking you know it says in the bible that the you know in genesis the animals are supposed to be afraid of me i'm not supposed to be afraid of them and so i'm thinking this i had enough time because yeah. i saw them coming Jesus gave gave said he he gave us authority and I think that the I think there's you know I think there might be some might even be demons it's like I yeah. don't know this is not right they yeah. are not supposed to attack or hurt me yeah. so I just stopped and, and I stopped being afraid I just stopped and I and I stood and I looked at them and they at this point they were closing in 50 yeah. feet and I just stopped and I looked and I said in the name of Jesus you stop and first, you know, and and first they, you know, they kind of slowed down, but then they kept. I said, "Stop and go home in the name of Jesus." And the dogs turned around and ran home. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I was thinking of the pigs. I had plenty of time yeah. to think about it, all yeah. the biblical verses that supported my actions, and you know, but I think, um, but I think, you know, and that's just, and but with humans also, I've got amazing stories of, of um, you know, just standing up to to evil powers. Yeah. I've seen, uh, you know, in, in my book, I've got, you know, a lot of different stories also, but I've, I've seen the manifest in people. I've seen, you know, it's, uh, they, I know they're very real, you know, yeah. real countries, they have no problem believing this, yeah. but we have, because we want to think we're too smart for that kind of thing, but we've been yeah. outsmarted sometimes. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to shift the conversation to stand it up, uh, to how to stand up to evil. I want to follow up on uh, two things real quick. One, whenever it comes to malevolent, man, I, I struggle with that, uh, forces, you know, I, as, as you mentioned earlier, there's a tendency to think that to ignore evil completely, or even just think that that doesn't exist or on the, on the other side of the spectrum is there's a devil under every rock. And so talk to me about like, how, how do you, how do you view or what's your perspective on like on discerning what you're dealing with in situations. Yeah, uh, there are um, a few scriptures because I always like to, everything's got to be supported by scripture. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I look in, 
course, we got the book of Proverbs that talks about wisdom. So there's God's wisdom. But James yeah. chapter 3 also talks about a wisdom that is not from above. And he refers to it as earthy, um, uh, uh, suke, you know, psychological mm -hmm. and demonic. So he's referring to three kinds of wisdom and and the kind of fruit that they produce you know so it'll produce jealousy and anger and you know and and uh, competition and so forth and he contrasts that but the wisdom from above is first pure peaceable gentle easy to be entreated full of mercy and good fruits and it'll produce the fruits of righteousness so when i'm praying for wisdom james one starts a, you know if any of you you're if you're in a situation pray for wisdom because that's what we need god what is your strategy in this so something goes wrong there's something that's happened and i've been slapped in the face but i'm I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to go, I'm going to say, all right, what's happened? Lord, show me from your perspective, what is going on? What is behind this evil? Uh, because in Ephesians 6, we are not wrestling with flesh and blood, but powers and principalities, world powers of darkness and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenlies. And so we know that there are realms of things. So it's like, ask for wisdom, recognize that, you know, somebody fights with you at work, somebody sends you a nasty email, somebody slams you on social media or, or far worse. It's like, what's going on? Where's this coming from? Because uh, I'm not just wrestling. It's not just this person. There's something else that, that seems to be going on. And so, uh, so I pray for wisdom. And, uh, and if it's, you know, if it's something, and, and then I need to judge it based on, you know, what Ephesians says and other passages, is this, God's wisdom or is this earthy wisdom? Mm -hmm. You know, like oh, I'm going to get even with them, you know, kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, talks about putting on the armor of God. And so, uh, so, but the main thing is when something evil happens, you got to slow down first mm -hmm. because we mm -hmm. tend to be reactive and that is generally going to cause a problem. Mm -hmm. You know, God is generally never in a hurry. Mm -hmm. And so we tend to be, cause we, you know, but not be reactive, slow down, go to prayer if you need to find someone another trusted person to pray with you go to scripture and just say lord what's the strategy what do we do here show me what's really going on and get the mind of christ we're told we have the mind of christ so we need to get that and not just go by what we see by these what we yeah. hear by these or what we, what i make up in this little pea brain here you know it's like what is really going on and stop like i remember hearing you know something happened to a family member um and the family member told me about it and i recognized that so much that could go really badly for so many people and uh, when I woke up the next morning, it was like my mind just started to swirl with all everything. I just started visualizing everything that could go wrong that could be so painful in so many people's lives. And I started to feel like just collapsing into a little puddle. But the spirit inside of me, the spirit of God said, stop, what do you know to be true? And I knew it was none of the words that I'd been told and none of the images, but what does God's word say? Mm -hmm. And so I went right back to God's word and, and, I, and, and I knew the Lord was saying to me, if you don't pray right now, you take your stand against these spiritual forces that are trying to destroy your family and, and these people. You take your stand and you come against them and you say, no, you will not enter here. You know, I, I love we just had uh, Yom Kippur not too long ago and there was a lamb for the family. And if the fam if the lamb, if the, the lamb was too much, the family was too small, invite your neighbors in. And so I look at, you know, uh, the, the blood of Christ, the lamb has been shed for my family and for my neighbors. So who is my neighbor? 
those that I'm praying for, those that I've come in contact with. And so I will bring them spiritually when something hits me or one of their lives. I, I just see myself pass overnight. I see the cross and it's like I'm putting the blood on the door. And I say, you shall not pass. No. You, and any evil you've done, and, and this has become one of my great lines <laughs> that's given, the, these have been some of my fighting words. Satan, you're going to pay for laying a hand on my loved ones or my life. You're going to pay. You're going to regret ever doing this. And I'm not going to stop until I see good come out of this. So you better back off. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, so instead of my being run over and backed up like I was for most of my life, it's like, no. You know, the Old Testament covenant is fulfilled in the new and a lamb for the family, you know, so that so saying I plead the blood of Jesus, I see myself standing before the heavenly courtroom because there's still the word Satan means accuser. He mm -hmm. is the accuser. He's the one who accuses us day and night, says in Revelation. So both the Hebrew and the Greek, you know, Satan, his main job is to accuse us to take legal aims against us. But Colossians 2 says that Jesus took every debt and trespass and nailed it to the cross, canceling mm -hmm. our debt. So it's canceled. So I can come before the heavenly courtroom and I can declare in the name of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, you have no legal claim here. Yeah. Uh, so I, that's what I take my authority and I refuse. I say, I am not backing down until I see good come from this. Yeah. No matter how vicious it's been, it's like no more. And sometimes it's it's a long trial. And you know, and you know, I, I so appreciate Hebrews eleven talks about you know just people of faith. But it says, but even so, there were some who did lose their loved ones. Mm -hmm. There were some who were sawn in two and stoned and so forth. But even there, and that's where Second Corinthians four says that that Paul talks where he's talking. Paul's talking about his light affliction that's working an eternal weight of glory. And so even the things that we suffer here in this earth, this earth is very temporary. It feels like forever sometimes, but the older you get, the less it forever it seems. But nevertheless, we still need that eternal perspective because even if I don't see the full victory here, I know there are powers and principalities watching. Job had no idea what was going on in the heavenly courtroom above, but we know we were given that insight. We might not know what's going on in the heavenlies, but there's nothing that we do or nothing that anybody else does that is not being seen by God as well as in the heavenly realm. And God does take personally everything that happens to us. So if we don't get full compensation and recompense in this life, we will in the next. Mm -hmm. And just our faithfulness, our refusing to back down like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, it's, we will not bow down to yeah. that image, you know, and uh, our God will deliver us. But if not, we still won't bow down, you know, yeah. so, it's, yeah. uh, so it's, it's kind of having that perspective that, you know, I'm not going to back down. But even if I don't see it, Lord, I know the powers and principalities saw that your people stood and we believe you. We're, our trust is in you, God. And they will pay at some point because we know at some point they will. Mm -hmm. We'll all have to give an account for our lives. Yeah. Well, I know that you've you've talked about some of it throughout this. I would just love uh, any other thoughts that you have on how to respond to evil or how to stand up against evil. Yeah, and I think uh, so much of it. It's you know, first just facing. We got to face the evil that's happened in our lives. If it's too hard to face alone, find someone to face face it with you just to help get started. Be super honest, and then be super honest with God about your hurt, your feelings, your anger, your you know, your sorrow, your grief. 
just be honest with God and also find if you can find a brother or sister, someone to be honest with or, a, you know, a trustworthy counselor. But we need to face it. We need to be honest about it. We need to it's, it's a process. Uh, forgiveness is not cheap and it's not easy. So so often when when evil has happened, people say, oh, just forgive them. It's like, are you kidding me? You know, it wasn't that easy for God cost the life of Jesus Christ to forgive. So why do we think we can just give it away like candy? So uh, so it, it's it's not just, oh, this, this happened, just forgive them. It's face it, call it out, name it, name your feelings, name the, what's going on. And, and then as you're ready, go to God in prayer for strategy. You might, you might not be ready. Some people aren't going to be ready to do that for a while. But wherever you are, God wants to meet people where they are to bring them where we need to be. And so we got to just start with where we are. And there are some people who are just so debilitated by the evils, traumas, abuses that, they've, that they have that they can just barely get up in the morning. And so depending on where we are, we just, it's just first just making that, making that decision. All right, I don't want to stay in this place. Mm-hmm. I don't want evil to win. And, I, and I'm tired of just being the victim of this. Mm-hmm. So making that decision. So again, calling it out, facing it, finding people to help. Uh, being honest, and then as you continue to move forward uh, to be able to go to God in strategy. If you're the one who's already on the, who's already had some victories, then you come alongside others. So it's uh, so as the hurt ones get healed, they can move into that place of being those who are healed, who are helping the hurt. But mm-hmm. it's going to be a continual process because even those who are healed, something else is going to happen. We're going to need some help again. Yeah. As long as we're in this earth here. We're in a battle zone, but Jesus already has the, he, he paid the price for mm-hmm. our victory. So it's learning our, what I call, we have to know our legal rights, our spiritual legal rights. It's yeah. important to natural le- re- legal rights, but we also have to learn our spiritual legal rights. We have to know who's the enemy. It's not God. God never does evil. He never does evil. He allows evil, but so much of the evil that he's allowed is what we've allowed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I forget now who was it. Oh, yeah. Uh, C.S. Lewis, um, I think it was in The Great Divorce. He says it's real simple. He said, uh, either God's either we say to God, your will be done or God looks at us and says, your will be done. Hmm. So, you know, it's it's when we want if we know that God wants to bring shalom, he wants to bring wholeness into our lives. He wants to bring goodness into this world. But it's through us. He appointed us to be his agents to bring goodness into the world. And if we abdicate that role, he'll look, he's looking for someone else. So he sent his son. That was the, the huge act that yeah. he took. But we need to take that seriously. Yeah. And yeah. Take up our role to help others and, and recognize when we need help and, to, and for us to become the church, to become that safe place, which it hasn't been. I hate to even word, use the word church because for some people that's become a toxic yeah. word. But find other people, whoever they are, who will just walk with us through it. Yeah. Well, hey, I know that we're coming up on time. If you have a couple of extra minutes, I have two questions. But if not, we could just go ahead and wrap up. Go ahead and ask. Okay, cool. One of the things that I always love asking people is we've covered so much stuff. Is there anything that we haven't talked about pertaining to the book or our discussion that you want to make sure that we mention or talk about? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there is, there is so much, I think, um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I do have a trigger warning in the book, Mm -hmm. uh, but 
Um, but yeah, I, I think, yeah, it's, I mean, I could go off on all kinds of tricks. I was going to say, and if there's too much to find, people can read the book to do it. But I always just love asking in case there's anything top of mind. The last thing I want to ask you about, and I guess it's kind of bringing our conversation full circle, is with so much evil in the world, what helps you continue to remain encouraged in that God is good? Yeah. And, and even with, you know, recent events, and of course, there's always new events going on, but these recent events, you know, it's, um, and, and, and I, I've given myself some time to, to grieve and, uh, and reach out to people. Uh, so I think what keeps me going is reaching out to people, both those that I know that are in the midst of hurting and evil who've been directly affected. Um, and when I'm directly affected to have a couple people to reach out to. And so I think don't try to do this alone. Life is not meant to be lived alone. We need strong people around us, uh, at least one or two mm-hmm. for starters. Anyway, at least one or two. And, um, uh, and so that that helps. But then also just taking time to go go before the Lord, pour out my heart and just say, Lord, show me what's your perspective, because I know God has a big picture. Mm-hmm. And if I can get the big picture and then find out what's my role to play in this so that like with recent events, first, you know, just grieving, reaching out to people, uh, but then saying, Lord, what is the big picture? Because there's always something bigger going on that I don't see. I know that there are miracles taking place, even in the midst of evils. I know there's good that needs to come out of this. What can I do? You know, and, and then, you know, looking at encouraging others who are in the midst of, of an evil situation, helping others and doing what they can to help others to make it through. So prayer and pra- being both prayerful and practical. You know, we got to be both prayerful and practical, but we need what's God's picture and what's my role in it. I can't carry everything. Um, I'll just mention the the imagery that God gave me once, you know, and and continues to bring back to me when I'm feeling overburdened, caring too much. Is a soldier in a battle, and his comrade or his friend is, is is shot down, and he picks up, carries him, he carries him to the medic tent, lays him down there, and uh, you know, and I, I remember seeing a, a video of a Vietnam medic tent and said, you know, uh, we treat him, God heals him. And so my job is to bring people to Jesus, you know, whether it's through prayer or in any way and just say, Lord, because I am not the Christ. (laughs) It's uh, I can't I am not anybody's savior. And if I think I am, I'm going to wear myself out. I'm going to burn myself out. And sometimes I need to find sometimes there's someone else that needs to step in. But recognizing when when I'm at my limit and then what do I need to hand off? So. But we're we're in this, and you know, I, and I just continue even with the evils going on right now. I still see miracle stories and hear miracle stories, and I'm looking for more because mm-hmm. that also really helps. Just ways that people or God or different have intervened in the midst of an evil situation, and I've yeah. seen so many lives transformed who had given up, and so that also really keeps me going. Mm-hmm. Well, Ingrid, I know that people are going to want to, you know get your book demystifying evil and keep up with you where's the best place for people to go to get the book and keep up with you uh the book is um it's on amazon lagos pretty much all the and it's it's an university press so it's mm-hmm. also available there um i'm finally putting up a website i put it off for six years but it'll be ingridfarrow.com it should be out in a couple of weeks awesome. so yeah and uh also if they just google my name they'll find videos and stuff 
Yeah. Well, and, and this this episode is dropping, you know, whenever the book comes out. So the website should be up by now, too. <laughs> cool. Thank you. Awesome. Well, Ingrid, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for the great conversation. And just thank you for doing the work and for sharing it with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a real honor and pleasure. Thank you. So thinking back on my conversation with Ingrid, I think one of the things that I just want to, that really just made me think about is the idea of thinking about evil as a category and realizing that evil is, is personal. And that when we only think about evil as a category, sometimes that allows us to dismiss it. It allows us to ignore it. It allows us to sweep it under the rug. It allows us to go, to put it, to put it off because that's something that I don't have to deal with right now. That's something that I don't have to think about. And sometimes if we're just going to be honest. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to think about it because it's hard because we, it, there's not easy answers to it. But for those of us who, who, who I, I would say for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we don't have that luxury. We don't have that luxury to ignore it. We don't have that luxury to not do anything about it. It's personal and it's affected us and it has affected us and it has affected the ones that we love. And so will we stand against it? Will we stand against it? And just as we are wrapping up this conversation or as we're wrapping up the episode, I want to read Ephesians chapter six which talks about putting on the full armor of God. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil, all evil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body, body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on the salvation, put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. And so may we stand firm. Now we have conversations like this from time to time not from time to time. We have a lot of conversations uh, just as we talked about today that aren't necessarily talked about a lot, but are important for us to have. And so obviously subscribe, but also keep up with other things that I'm learning about on my Substack. All you got to do is go onto the show notes and hit subscribe there and you'll get three things each week that I'm learning from. And that's all that I have for today. So I want to say thank you again to Ingrid for being on the podcast today. Thank you to Sam Massey for creating the music for this podcast. 
And thank you for listening to all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Caleb Mason. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing.